Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my non-binary friends, welcome back to another beautiful episode of Mental Health Mondays here on the What the Fluff podcast. We have a lovely batch of questions. Again, if you are currently in the chat, all you got to do, exclamation question, and we'll freaking get to your question. We only have four. I'm pretty sure it's really only three because someone just paid us a lovely compliment. So, without further ado, I feel like this question might have been last week. Um, yes, and we got to that, so that's okay. Already, off to a banging start. Uh, not so much a question, but I wanted to thank you for being an inspiration and a motivator for people like me that started realizing that emotional intelligence is, ne is a never-ending lesson. Leaps and bounds have been made, and I owe it up to you in the pub club. P.S. They took my Uzi. Gage, thank you, brother. Honestly, it has been and still is. I look forward to these Mondays so much, man. I love getting to learn more about you guys and just getting to have this conversation. Because if there's one thing that I cannot stand, it's BS surface level conversation. It's not fun for me. I, I will literally, it just bores me. That's why I love people that can tell stories. I love people that are engaging. I love people that can take a basic, like, what did you do today? And there's something to it. It's not just a list of, act, a list of different things. So, oh, good talk. That's fun. No, like, I would love in-depth shit about what happened. Because that's always the most interesting. That allows for even more questions. And that's what excites me. I love follow-up questions. For those of you who watch the interviews, like that's one of my, when there's a little bit of something that can be explored deeper, that is just my gold is, is that feeling. It's knowing that, oh my gosh, there's more to this. There's, there has to be more to this. So you guys have allowed for that to happen through this, through the interviews, through just the stream in general. Um, and I'm really, really grateful for that. So thank you. Next question is by the one, the only, oh, I can delete these. That's right. Why am I not deleting? Beautiful. Courtney S. Who says... When do you become vulnerable in new relationships, romantic or platonic? Or what are my green flags? This question is based on there being essentially two types of vulnerability. What I mean is that there is vulnerability surrounding traumas that we have already processed and have healed from and vulnerability that is based on existing dumpster fires that we don't know where to go with and are actively working through. That is a very good question. I... I will become vulnerable because I have, I, I feel like you guys have realized this. I have no problem asking anyone, not how you doing, but like, how are you doing? Really? How are you? What's going on in your life? And if someone can respond in a way that they are at least somewhat aware of their emotions, they are somewhat just self-aware in, again, because I think 
in addressing the vulnerability surrounding traumas that we have processed and surrounding things that we don't know where to go with, the first step of both of those things is the awareness of the issue, right? If I am constantly um, coming off as aggressive, I will not be able to change until I myself become aware of the situations in which I am becoming aggressive, right? And that can either be because someone tells me and it's someone that I respect enough already to know that, oh shit, then that actually must be something that I'm doing. They're not just going to make this up. Or for some reason, I can become self-aware of it, right? And then now that you're aware, you can, with the easier ones or whatever ones that you are more capable of being able to process and work through, you can work through them to the point where you become secure about whatever that is, right? And then, of course, we still have these things that are dumpster fires that we don't know how to deal with. But that is, again, you are more in control of it because you are aware of it. I think people don't realize how much, even if you might feel out of control of something, for example, when I first enter into a, uh, into a relationship, I can become or I am very anxious until I know for certain that person has let me know through actions or words or whatever that they like, like me and want to do this thing back. Right. Because again, how my brain works is expectations. So if I'm expecting, if I really like you and I'm expecting that we're going to be entering into the next step of this and you are indicating that you are, but then you suddenly aren't, that fucking sucks. That is terrible, which is why I have anxiety about it. So, and this is something that, again, I, I don't want to say I'm secure. Like, I'm secure in the fact that I know how I am, but it's still out of the control to some points. Like, it can be very debilitating. It can be, I can't stream today because I am so anxious about this thing that I need to sleep because that's, or like just be with myself because that's the only way that I'm going to make it through it. That is why I would say that that's a dumpster fire. But I would also say that I have that again, knowing that that is how I am allows me to still express that vulnerability because I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared of my anxiety when it comes to entering in a romantic relationship uh, like that because I know that it is what Glennon Doyle likes to say, skited, scared, and excited. Scared can manic uh, anxiety manifests itself in both excitement and in fear. And the more that you label it the excitement, the more likely you are to have a positive experience through it right? Does that still make the anxiety hard? Yeah, of course. But it helps. Because again, I know that that craziness is going to happen when I start a relationship. And I know what then fixes that. Right? So it allows me to be vulnerable when I feel... It, so then having those two things conquered... I then, I then am a, I, 
I don't know if I'm ever like, it's truly, I sense your emotional maturity through conversation, through question, through engagement. And then really like, I'm not necessarily going to be vulnerable with you in any way, shape or form, or even want to talk to you in any way, shape or form. If you don't have some of that, because if you, again, like I said, when I first started this, you have to be able to have those conversations. I have to be able to get emotionally deep with you in conversation in order to be engaged, in order to like want to talk to you. So if I don't get that off the gate, chances are I'm not really going to continue to engage and I wouldn't then have that vulnerability. If they came to me with a question 100% like that had that vulnerability and that depth to it, I will 100% of the time answer something. Even if you've shown before that you aren't an emotionally mature person, whatever, if you are able to come to that point in your own brain where you do exhibit that emotional maturity in a way that I'm, that is unsuspecting, but is mature, I'm 100% going to engage then. So that is how I would go about that one. Um, and I greatly I, thank you for that because that actually was a lot more, um, a lot more in depth than I really, really thought. So thank you guys. And 1000%, I'm just going to take what Heather said. It's very, very important that we use the right lang uh, labels for our emotions. Too much use of negative wording can sometimes worsen your emotional state. And that is 1000% true. Like I said, with the anxiety, if you are feeling anxiety about something and you label it as you are excited, uh, excited to do something, you will have a higher perceived positive experience of that thing after than if you label it as scared. So also one of the things that Brene Brown mentions in her book, Atlas of the Heart is, drum roll. Oh crap. And I lost it. Um, Brene Brown, Atlas of the Heart, emotions, labeling them. Oh no, it was right there. I had, I had to, I had to go. Uh, too much use of a negative wording, scared, excited, perceived positive outcome. Dude, I was just about to just with a little bit of information and instead that information just out of my brain. So cool. Hopefully somewhere, um, somewhere I'll be able to just toss it up and it'll come back. I'm going to think on it for tense. I'm just going to sit over here, spin. Those of you just listening to this, just know that I'm spinning around trying to think. Does labeling give them power? Yes. Scared, excited, skyded, perceived. Dude, and one of my friends has the book because I could easily go into it and find the chapter because I would, I would know exactly where this part is. Dang nabbit, man. See, this is why I don't look at chat. This is, well, okay, this is, I did, but then it got me to a point where I was able to forget. Uh, anyway, I think, crap, I'm so mad.
Where is it? Uh, I want to say it's in anxiety. It would be in anxiety. Because it would talk about the feeling. Yeah, the feeling is the same. You have a higher perceived enjoyment when you label it as excitement versus when you label it as um, scared. Oh, and what you don't want to do is one of the one of the other main things that you are able to use to distinguish between the excitement anxiety versus the scared anxiety is do I actually want to do this thing? And it might sound like a simple question, but for example, when it comes to going on a roller coaster, right? One person could have that feeling of anxiety and they do, there is that bit of fright because it's fast, tall, whatever, but there is also the excitement of that anxiety, which leads them to get to the point that they actually want to do it. Where there's another person who has anxiety, but it is 100% scared. And they don't, they don't want to do it. And that is a situation where you really, really, really need to pay attention to your anxiety because you need to understand when you are, you, you might have more scared in you than you expect, but it's still something that you're really excited for and you want to do and you want to accomplish because so much of us let fear get in the way of what we want to do. And a lot of that fear has anxiety attached to it, right? And so when we're able to determine whether that fear is the fear of potential failure, the fear of whatever, versus an actual fear of like, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just scared to do this because this isn't me. This isn't fun. That is then when you need to not push yourself and not do that thing, right? If you want the outcome more, it's really just, do you want that outcome? Do you want to do that thing? And of course, everything that you want to do, the more vulnerability that's attached to it, the more anxiety you're going to have, the more vulnerability, the more fear. I guess we can equate those two in this. You still have to realize whether you want that thing or not. So um, that's, that's just what I, what I wanted to say with that. And I hope I made a point and I hope that made sense to you guys because it 100% made sense to me. Um, but yeah, I greatly, greatly appreciate that, Heather. So thank you. Uh, took me a second, but we freaking got there. So we got a lovely question for our buddy, Ethan. Already, I'm just gonna mentally prepare myself to, to possibly say I do not know to this answer, all right? How would you pr approach a new job opportunity? More info. The offer is significantly more money, 160% to be exact. I've been the current, uh, I've been with the current company for almost six years, like the people in most of the time, the job, but it's hit or miss on that recently got the expertise to increase my value, but currently, uh, but the current job being the first to know even before I haven't taken the time to discuss anything about pay or my future with the company. Um, so, I mean, if it's 160% over, I, I mean, a the question that needs to be asked is if you 
were given the same amount of money at your current job that would match the new one, would you still want to switch jobs? That's question number one. Because if you wouldn't want to switch, if you would want to switch jobs still, then there's no point in even going to your boss and asking for a pay raise. But if the same pay would mean that you wouldn't want to switch jobs, then you 100% should try and fight for that raise in pay, especially with your increased uh, expertise. Second question would be, um, what do you want to do? Like, what are, are there going to be new responsibilities? Are there going to be uh, longer hours? Like, what? Yeah, I guess you really, like, it really just determines, actually, you can honestly just answer the first question. And that's really where it stops. I thought I had a part two. But if money were equal, where would you go? And then, okay, fight for the same amount of money at your current place. Then if that doesn't go, then you ask, okay, is that increase in money, the extra 60% in cash, or um, wait, 160% more? So not 100% more. So you're almost triple your pay? Whatever, I'll let you answer the question. Uh, if the pay isn't going to change or you're not able to get, let's say you're able to get 130 at your current place as opposed to 160, then that's going to be on you to answer the question of, okay, is that extra 30% worth whatever it would be that you have to do? whether it's a relocation, whether it's more responsibilities, that then is going to be on you to answer that inequality question of what is the opportunity cost going to be to stay? What is the opportunity cost going to be to go? And boomtown. Um, so if it's 100%, yeah. So you, gotta, you just got to weigh the pros and cons for yourself. Ask yourself, if I were to get the same amount of money here, would I want to go? If you do want to go, then there's no point in even asking for a raise. If you do want to stay, then you might as well ask yourself for a raise if they're not able to match it. Figure out whether then you get to that really granular pros and cons about what your responsibilities are, what you're going to miss out on family life, what you're going to uh, be able to do more in family life, what have you. And from there, you'll be able to decide whether it's even worth pursuing or not. You got this. Dude, that one. I'm just going to say, we nailed that one. We absolutely nailed that one. So this next lovely question is from an anonymous person. Uh, um, hold on. Okay. This is just going to be an anonymous comment. Um, we'll see what we do with this. I've lost all interest in life. No, I'm not sad or depressed, just not interested in anything anymore. I live my life for someone else now. I see that as fine so long as I have something to live for. Um, but is that okay? I think that that is a question that you uh, should be asking yourself, man. Uh, because truly no one can decide for you what is going to make you happy. I can point, everyone can be able to point you in a general direction. Everyone... Uh, will be able to put in their two cents. But at the end of the day, 
you are who goes to sleep in your skin. You are who has to be okay with the decisions that are made in regards to your life. So if living your life for someone else makes you happy and makes you feel fulfilled, which I feel is different, there's happy and then there's fulfilled. Happy is permanent, uh, is temporary. Fulfilled is, I feel a longer state of, uh, of being a more complete level of joy, peace, if you will. So if, if, if you're something to live for is that and that sustains you and that makes you fulfilled and that brings you peace, then dude, oh yeah, love that for you. Um, but if that's not the case, if you are feeling a little bit lacking less than something's missing, um, best advice I could give is to just truly, I mean, meditation and just start really listening to yourself so much. Like try to I'm like trying to think of how I can't not saying it, how I started to realize what was me. I think we all know what is going to bring us happiness. I think we all know what we love, but there comes a point and it might not be for everything. It could be for everything. It might not even be for anything where you suppress that love or excitement or whatever positive feeling that is about something because someone judged you for it or you saw something where it was belittled and it made you feel that whatever you wanted to do wasn't cool. For me, it was painting my nails. Like, and this was something that I never, I never, it, it wasn't as though I had done it before and was shamed for it. It was just men don't wear nail polish until I went to jujitsu when I was 22 and my professor had uh, black nail polish on his toenails. I was like, oh, dudes can do that. That's cool. And then obviously I started working at the gay bars uh, when I graduated from college. And then I, I knew anyone could wear nail polish. Any single person could wear nail polish. That Honestly, that's when I just gave up on like, as long as you are happy, and this is where I, I feel like I truly got the inspiration from it was being within the LGBTQIA plus community was just like, be yourself and anyone who doesn't accept you for you. Um, and that is such a hard place to get to, especially when, because I was privileged enough to not be shamed for really for any part of myself, um, directly, at least it was just certain aspects of femininity or whatever that I felt about myself that people would talk about in the, in the grand atmosphere of the world. Um, just like sensitivity or even still certain men painting, painting your nails, uh, mostly anything that you would deem feminine. Because I, again, why I have these two masks, why one is a dude, one is a lady, both. 
masculine, feminine. Um, so re then realizing that like, oh my God, just be your fucking, like being yourself is, I, I then got to a point where I realized that I would rather be myself around one person than try and fit in around a group of six or seven or eight or an entire group because that's not fun for me. I like being myself. I like my random jokes. I like the stupid puns I make. I like the fact that I love card magic and video games and fitness and jujitsu and rom-coms and like the myriad of things that exist in humanity. And I truly believe that once you put yourself first and you put your love of things and your hobbies, your enjoyment of those over the judgment of others, you will then attract those people who also genuinely like those things, who like to do those activities, who like to be that person and around those type of people. And then all of a sudden you're not alone anymore. Um, so, wow. That went to a place I did not anticipate. Go us. <laughs> um, so yeah, the basic answer is find out what you love. If being of service is what you love, is if that's what makes you feel peaceful, do it. Keep doing it. But if there's something within you that is longing for something else, explore that. Figure out what that is. And uh, seek it out and see what happens, you know? So wish you all the best, man. You got this. And we have an in flux of questions oh my gosh thank you guys thank you for the likes shares everything absolute champions let's move on to this next one we have a uh ooh, this is going to be interesting because i definitely do not think i would be qualified for this so i'm already putting that out there this person has chosen to rename uh, remain anonymous how do you approach my mental health without medication weed i have adhd but i've been told uh by my pcp that it affects my health, uh, health state, so doc provided me medication. I was taking one medication that helped significantly, but your insurance didn't cover it, so I finally tried to switch rather than pay uh, the money for it. Switched to a different drug, which helps, but isn't great for only 200 a month. Money is always a problem. Weed is illegal where I live. Your partner has noticed that you don't take it as regularly as it doesn't help as much. You don't feel like you need it. Your emotions are kind of all, all over the place anyways, but depression is really peaking out, especially when there are some big decisions in life coming up. Oh, dear goodness. So I am going to answer this question by basically addressing the first part that you said, which was how do, my, do I approach my health, uh, mental health without medication? So first of all, can we get some puppy loves in the chat? Because this is not something easy to go through in any way, shape, or form. My therapist has told me multiple times that I have ADHD. Um, also, anyone that has ADHD in the chat probably is also like, hey, John, no shit. So weed, number one, just going to throw that out there, which you said is illegal. Second is 
uh, one of the things that my therapist tells me and one of the things that has actually proven the most true is it, it really goes back to doing the things that you love is staying busy is not even staying busy, but having things that you love doing. So for example, I wake up, take nugget for a walk. Then I try and make a video. Then I go to jujitsu or the gym. Then I come back and have a conversation with a friend. Then I take nugget out to the dog park. Then I start stream. Then I'm editing. Then I'm going over to volleyball. Then I'm coming back and I have like an hour to watch TV like that. We need dopamine. We, uh, as people who have ADHD, so, well, I feel like everyone, but like we are always, so by continuously accomplishing things, by keeping yourself busy, by doing the things that you like, um, you are able to help yourself make it through. Um, I would also, I mean, having a partner throughout this is so helpful, um, can be so helpful. And one of the things that I will, I don't know where you guys are at in your relationship. I don't know any of that. So I will only say what I have experienced, which is I, I tell my partner as much as I possibly can about everything that I'm going through, especially if they don't know. I mean, yeah, open and honest communication, especially when you are uh, neurodivergent and you have ADHD or you have whatever, a lot of the times it's difficult for a partner to really understand what is going on and understanding can be very, very beneficial to them when it comes to helping you help you, right? So having the conversation about what you're experiencing and what you think might help you the most with your partner, I also feel will help you guys the best. For example, when I'm big sad, when I'm having ex extreme depression, I don't want to be treated like I have extreme depression. I want you to keep making fun of me. I want you to keep making jokes. I want you to, to try, which I know can be difficult, which is why it's so important to talk to your partner about what helps you. So important for you to be the same person that you are because then otherwise I'm like, fuck, I'm bringing everyone down. You might as well just leave. I'm bringing the party down. Like, this isn't fun. So by communicating with her, by saying, hey, when I get like this, the best thing that you can do is let me be, is just let me be sad. Please try your hardest to just be you, make fun of me. I'm making weird fit, like whatever it is. I just don't want to be reminded that I'm feeling down right now. And so by having that conversation with her, we were able to make it through. She helped me so much. And it was incredible. So when you don't have that conversation, when that partner has to guess of how to behave around you, or they just go to their natural caretaking tendencies, that can make you feel worse in a way, which can then make them feel weird. Then you guys have a fight when it's insane. Um, so that's, that's what I got there. Um, and like someone just said in chat and like my, my uh, therapist constantly tells me, I'm still trying to figure out mostly how it is, but I do feel she's like, it's a superpower. It's, it's something where we can have amazing level of focus on different things that we care about and be able to just, I don't know. 
I'm finding it easier to just be. I don't know what that means. If that means like anything for you, but just realizing how I am. And again, the awareness of how I am has made it night and day as well. Cause I'm like, Oh shit, this is why I'm like, Oh, that's, this is why I like to plan things because I, I, I like to know things are for certain. I like expectations. So I don't want to wait. If we're going to hang out, I don't want to wait to find out if it's Monday. I don't want to wait until, until Saturday to find out. I would like for us to talk about it now that we're going to hang out Saturday and then we're going to hang out Saturday. Awesome. Thank you so much. Like, I don't have to worry about why I am the way that I am anymore. Just, I, just everything is starting to make sense. And it is amazing. So the more you continue to just learn about yourself, the more you continue to... Yeah, just dive deeper into who you are and what you like and explore that more on a constant basis. Sprinkle in, excuse me, sprinkle in the things you love throughout your day. You're going to be off to a good start, man. You got this and we're sending you love. Holy hell, man. The questions are still coming in. Let's go. All right. Um... We have Taylor D who asks, I'm a new stay at home mom to four kids. My boyfriend works almost all the time and I don't have family that lives by me. I'm struggling to, uh, with finding time for myself. Any advice? So as a single dad of a dog and a cat, I feel almost overqualified to answer this question. I feel completely unqualified to answer this question. I don't know how old your kids are. That's a very big question, a very good question. One of the things that I feel like I remember reading from Glennon Doyle when she was a stay-at-home mom and was feeling very overwhelmed is she would find ways, and it sounds so stupid, but to just be in a closet for 10 minutes. Like trust your kids are going to be safe. That's why you obviously know how to keep your kids safe. It's trusting that for 10 minutes, these kids are going to be safe and it's going in a closet and it's laying down. It's literally doing something you love for 10 minutes. Um, because one of the things, and I forget, I want to say it was a Brene Brown podcast one of the ways that we actually best recharge ourselves is by doing the things we love, not necessarily by doing nothing. So sitting there and just like zoning out on the couch might not for 10 minutes might not be as beneficial as if you love reading, going in and going into that closet and reading for 10 minutes. And again, trusting your kids are safe. They're fine. Finding little times throughout the day to be able to do that because, of course, asking or even five minutes, asking for 15, 20, dear God, 30 is most likely extremely unrealistic. So what I would say is, yeah, try and take those 10 minutes and uh, put yourself in a closet. Even if they're banging at the door, know that they are safe outside there. They will be fine. And take that time to yourself. Um, I'm hoping that's right. I think that's okay. 
I wish you the best of luck. Also, best of luck. Like that's all I got. I, you got this. Let us know. Let us know if this works because I would really, really like to know. Um. Oh dear God, your guys's questions today are awesome. Gabriel asks, what's one of the hardest things I experienced trying to love and appreciate myself for who I am and how would I explain it to someone who could definitely use it? Holy shit. Gabriel, thank you for your question, brother. Um, this is, this is going to be interesting. Um, I would truly say my sensitivity is one of the hardest things that I've grown to love about, that I've had to appreciate and love for myself. Because, yeah, I had never, I mean, It's so tough. And I feel like those of you that have, that have and are going through it, there's not just one thing. Because one thing always leads to the other, which opens up another thing, which makes you realize that, oh shit, I had this here, which then makes you not realize that you didn't do as much work on yourself over here as you thought you did, which then makes you realize, oh shit, I haven't done any work on myself in the grand scheme. Like, so... (laughs) I would truly say just being this, uh, literally just being myself has been the hardest thing. Um, Fuck, dude. I have always thought of myself as a lot. I've always thought of myself as too much as before I owned, before I took ownership of the word weird. It was definitely more of a negative connotation than I put zero, zero negative connotation on weird. Now I fucking own it. I love it. I would rather be in the ground than be, than be someone else than be normal than not be weird. So just putting Just getting the courage to put all the pieces together, I think, can be the hardest part because we all know these varying things about ourselves that I think if we accepted, we would be happier, but we don't do it all the time. We do it in certain situations around certain people when we're feeling a certain way as opposed to just putting it all together and being who we are all the time. And that comes from a privileged, attractive, tall white dude who has really not gotten any flack in person for being who he is. 
all of it has been brought on by my own self, by my own insecurities. So know that I'm saying be yourself and all the time from someone who hasn't dealt with the repercussions of being themselves in public. Um, which is why, again, our LGBTQIA, our like people of color, anyone who has just had to, who hasn't been able to exist as themselves, this is 50 billion times harder for them. So that's why that's with a grain of salt. That's with the utmost understanding and perspective of how difficult that can actually be. Um, but again, just know that even within your own communities, even within our little sub communities of people, being yourself will only attract those that are themselves as well. It's really, really hard to be inauthentic around people that are constantly authentic. And you also start to, to sniff it out. You start to realize when you're, when you are constantly surrounded by real human beings that are themselves, you become so aware of when someone is bullshitting of when someone is not even close to being what they are. They have such a big armor up and it's, uh, it's just something that you know to get away from, man. So try to embrace yourself. Uh, fall in love. Be, fall in love with what you love about yourself and know that you will only, those that are trying to take that away from you are jealous. And I think that's also a big part. It, it doesn't necessarily take away the hurt that they do to you, especially if it's physical. But knowing that you are being mean to me because you either experienced such mistreatment that you think this is acceptable, or there's something about me that you see within yourself that you are denying, and so you're taking that denial out on me. When you start to realize that people not accepting you or liking you has nothing to do with you and everything to do with them, it just becomes easier. I, I, I really can't explain it any other than that, but that's just how it feels. For me, at least. I know that if I'm getting a, you suck or you're a trash gamer or your stream sucks, has nothing to do with me, man. That has everything to do with how you feel about yourself and what's going on in your life. And you're deciding to bring your storm clouds over my paradise. And guess what? That's okay because the crops need a little rain every now and then, right? So if that's what you got to do, honestly, I've, I, I've 